UX Podcast Episode 109. This is UX Podcast. I'm James Royal Lawson. And I'm Pat Axbom. And we're balancing business technology and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. Yay! <laughs> and today we uh, are doing an interview with uh, Simon Norris, who's the founder and CEO of Nomensa. And uh, Nomensa is the organization behind Interact London, which we will be visiting. Uh, on what dates is that, James? Um, the 20th and 21st of October. Right. And Nomensa uh, credits themselves as being a an evidence-led user experience agency. And, and this conference is like, it's bringing together practitioners from neurology, psychology, and cognitive neuroscience, and uh, looking at UX beyond the screen, really. And uh, lo- really looking forward to that. And today we'll be talking to Simon about UX strategy and making the full-blown leap into digital. So, Simon, uh, I'm going to start out by quoting from one of the many online profiles about you that I found. Uh, you founded your company, No Mensa, in 2001, and this is what you've had to say about it. Um, I created No Mensa to help organizations understand and design better digital experiences that are truly engaging, aesthetically beautiful, accessible, and commercially relevant. And you're basically solving digital here. So I was thinking... This was your goal in 2001, and how has this played out for you? Yeah, it's a good question. So prior to to, um, running Nomensa, I ran a large um, web design firm, which is slightly smaller than we are now. But, you know, at the time, sort of 70, 80 people as an independent web design firm is quite large. Um, And we had clients all around the world. And within that company, I had a user-centered design team. Because obviously my, my, my background is in um, human-computer interaction and cognition and that sort of stuff. So I'm in, I know, I've been interested in, in this stuff um, you know, for sort of 25 years. And the web presented an opportunity when I got into it back in 94 when I finished university, because I knew I'd be a terrible academic, to be able to bring the human factor into the equation. Hence, I created a web company, I created a user-centered design company, a team within that company. But I got bored of of um, solving problems that were marketing related, which when now I look back commercially and I realize that that was a bit stupid of me. But, you know, I was young, um, ambitious in the sense of I saw a a much wider play that the kind of web could could bring. Um, So I kind of created a new company with the user centered design team. that, I'd all, that, that I had in my other company, exited from that company um, because I thought that the thing that was lacking was not so much a, a sort of creative focus or a technological focus. I mean, there was no real business focus back then when I was thinking about it. People, you know, they may talk about it, but it is utter twaddle. Back then they were talking about, you know, they were talking about how can we make websites more usable? I mean, that would have that's where the conversation would have been. So when we created a user experience design company, it was because I believed that user experience would become the dominating factor in the kind of equation for how you design digital technologies. I believe today that that is 
kind of played out, I think, in the next five years, especially with the sort of emergence of UX strategy sitting, I think, in time alongside business strategy. So business strategy is the kind of engine of a corporate strategy. Yes? You know, you have corporate objectivity, objectives, then business strategy is the manifestation of, of that that combines marketing strategy, HR strategy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I see UX um, and UX strategy actually in time being equal to, for, for example, bis, business strategy. And it may be 10 years from now that you start to see people being taught about U, UX strategy in business school as something that they need to understand because the types of models that they're taught, which you need to know if you're kind of into sort of the whole business bit, um, aren't so relevant because the world is so utterly different. I mean, and it's so utterly different to what I thought it would be and so utterly different to say what people thought it would have been you know, pre the 29th of uh, June 2007 when Apple released, um, you know, version one of this bad boy. So, um, you know, the world is the world is very different. The world is very connected. And this idea of sort of social behavior and how that plays out, what's relevant is starting to become much more the focus of, especially for the clients that we're talk, talking to. They're not so much interested in the, the, the user experience design and research, which for a company like us, it's just a given that you know how to do it because of the size of your company and the clients you have, et cetera, et cetera. What they're interested in is how can you help, help them solve business problems? And that is, for me, the fundamental difference between UX strategy and UX. UX is a strategic sort of choreography of techniques, tools, and thinking to sort of help you design, say, better interface, better flows, even better transitions. UX strategy is more about the kind of choreography of more sort of global, more macro elements. So for, for, for me, I differentiate between sort of micro thinking and application, which is where sort of UX comes in, um, and then sort of macro thinking, which is to do with um, how we can sort of help businesses use technology that supports the needs of their customers more effectively. You know, it's called, it's called customer centricity. I think of everything that I do as just trying to understand problems and trying to design things that solve those problems. Often not completely, but at least there's a trajectory of how we can be more complete in that problem solution ecology. So that's kind of, you know, that's how I think of it. And that's how it's different today. I'm always saying, I always think that we're getting there. I think in the next five years with the sort of imminent rise of sort of UX strategy is the sort of... Uh, master of UX, uh, I think you'll, you'll, you'll see businesses be vigorously adopt. It's about to happen. But do you think that, that um, UX strategy in itself, though, is, is just a transitional thing? Um, you mentioned, um, you know, with all the different types of strategies and business strategy and so on and, and product management. The, the UX strategy, uh, at least for me, I think um, I can see in 10 years' time not them teaching UX strategy, but actually still talking about you know, business strategy and the, the applied side of it, and, and UX will be absorbed into that. Um, not talking about the UX practice side of things, like you differentiate, but, but the UX strategy side, isn't that, isn't that something transitional? I tend to see it in this way. I tend to think that UX strategy is how you are going to combine your um, digital uh, resources effectively and deliver an experience that actually supports um, corporate objectives whilst also taking into account what the 
customers expect you to be able to do, deliver, which is really the, the, the business proposition bit. So the problem that we have, and this is a really subtle one, is UX in its nature is strategic, but that mm. doesn't make people strategists. Strategy no. is very different. So there is strategy in being able to choreograph, uh, choreograph the hierarchy of elements on a page or the hierarchy of, say, key moments of interaction within um, a transaction. That's, that's micro. Yeah. You know, that's not taking the perspective of, you know, how does the, how does the business affect this globe, you know, globally? Just as you have micro and macroeconomics, mm. and, I, and, I, and, and I know that you're an um, uh, economics person by, by, by training, um, I think the same thing applies in, in UX. Mm. It's just that it's just not one of those things that is spoken about because the competency levels to be able to talk about it need to be a lot higher. You're not going to come to this way of thinking after five years of kind of mm. practice. It's going to take a lot of time of, 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 of practice. And then it's also going to take a lot of exposure to the sort of business problems that people are throwing at you, you know, rather than, hey, fix this page, mm. you know, fix this conversion rate. That's micro stuff. I wouldn't expect yeah. any sort of business analysis, strategic thinking to emerge if no. in those sorts of conversations. It's just not there. I think I think you're right. There. I think a lot of the time, the, the, the applied UX that we do, I mean, that's that's UX tactics. Um, where, where you know conversion rate optimization, um, improving usability. Mm. That's very tactical. Mm. Um, whereas you're right, um, the, the moving to the other side of things and, and being strategic about how you would um, um, build UX into um, an organisation on a on a macro level is um, is is a is a little bit removed from that for well, a lot of lot removed from that for a lot of people. Yeah, essentially, I think we can exemplify by the most common discussion we have within UX is should UX people be able to code. And that's one direction you could move when working within UX. But work, being really, really good at UX does not actually make you really, really good at business strategy. Mm. When I got into the web back in 1994, I taught myself how to code it. I taught myself under, to understand it. And I, and I don't mean in just a, um, you know, how do we make web pages? And I practice understanding how standards work. So... Um, for us, accessibility really is just a kind of a way of thinking about quality, code quality and standardization output in terms of code quality. So it's about quality. So when, pe- you know, when people say inclusion, I mean the quality by which you actually manifest the experience, which typically comes in the code. So I think they do need to have a sense of that. Do they need to be coders? Mm, that's one way that they could go. So I completely agree with with you. You cannot become a master of all these things, but you need to have an awareness of it. You know, UX requires, hence why I said it was strategic, it requires you to have a multidisciplined way of thinking. So, you know, that is strategic in itself to be able to combine, to choreograph these, that that sort of synthesis is a intellectual strategic way of thinking. However, that, that again, that doesn't mean that you're going to become a strategist. Um, and, and vice versa. You know, when I speak to people that say I'm McKinsey trained or they're Accenture trained and they know these models and I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 you know the models. And I tell people must know your business models because you don't want one of those smart asses with two days UX training to sort of say, hey, you don't know this sort of um Red Blue Ocean theory, it's like, that's, you know, you, you could learn that in 60 seconds, the theory of it, the application of it, the designing of it, that's a skill. 
And the fact is that what I always say to, to them is that, but you know, if, if, if I lack anything in understanding these strategic ideas, mm. I make up for it in understanding design. And that is an area where they are utterly, totally, not just weak, they're fragile to the point of um, they have hardly anything to offer because they don't, they, they don't think of design in that sort of traditional abductive way. They think of it, you know, they think of their work in very analytical A is B and B is C. And that's not how, you know, human beings don't behave in that way. Our brains don't behave in that way. <laughs> Societies don't behave in that way. I mean, transactional processes probably don't behave in that, that, that way anymore. It's very, you know, 20th century. But they're buying up firms like us as quickly as they can because they see that as filling in the the design gap that, that they've got. So I think you need to be able to understand design. And I think, and I see design as a polymorphous manifestation mm. of, you know, UX, IA, it's all design. So just as I would argue that chemistry doesn't sit under physics, and many other people would argue this as well, because they're both branches of science that study matter, I think of... Um, say, customer experience and user experience is separate, as information architecture is separate. These are disciplines that need to be understood and practiced, but you can practice mm. them all. You have to learn which bits interest you. And I'm much more interested in, say, the conceptual framing and thinking around um, how we model stuff and how we validate models. So my kind of science thinking kind of helps me there. Do I design stuff? I mean, I was asked the other day, I mean, how well could I use Adobe Photoshop now? Mm. I mean, I know mm. how it works. I know what I like. I know how to ask for things that I want done. Yeah. But do I really know how to use it? No. Does mm. that, is that going to reduce my, you know, my designerliness um, in the way that I'm a designer? I don't think so. What I need to be able to work out is what do I need to be able to improve so that I can be better at what I do? If someone wants to code, I'm like, code at home i don't say no anything that will make you better is good but i don't prescribe to this idea that um being a front-end developer makes you a ux so i don't i don't see that overlap for me it's ux is strategic activity mm. rather rather than just something focused on interaction it's it's broader than that it's um it's more quantum than that it's harder to understand than that that's why yeah. i still like it yeah, and I, I, I agree that I don't think you, you, you don't need to be a master of absolutely everything. I think the, the a critical skill for a UXer um, is um, being able to communicate between these different specialities. Um, you need to know enough about all of these things so that you can sit down with whoever that's working with you um, and get your point across. Like you say, Simon, if you know you, your design thinking or the way that you're um, perceiving something, that has to come out of you and be transferred across mm. to the person you're working with. And that's, that's the, the skill, the, for me, one of the, the most important skills. And that's the case for coding or information architecture mm. or um, whichever aspect, that we, whichever little silo we want to we take that. C- coming from a background of usability many, many years ago, uh, I think one of the rude awakenings for me was realizing that it's not about always making the world a better place for all the users but you also have to pay attention to the business, the resources available, uh, <laughs> all that, the, to- the technology available, and how much it costs. And so that's what the strategy bit of, and that's when I moved towards UX uh, and worked more on the business side of things. Uh, but I think that's also what people who feel really attached to the concept of UX always argue for the importance of making it really, really easy to use, but often at the cost of 
the business, uh, uh, well, the goals of the business at the cost of using the right technology, uh, unfortunately. Uh, so there's, I think there's a divide there between UXers who understand that concept and those who still argue again and again that if it doesn't work for the user, it's not going to. It's, got, it's not going to be a successful product. Very few projects yeah. have an unlimited budget. Exactly. So, so yeah. the perfect UX experience is going to be out of reach mm. for most organizations because yeah. they, they will have a finite amount of money and a finite amount of resources, but they need to achieve business um, goals. Simon, I've got a question, though. Um, you said about like, acquisition of, of firms to maybe fill in gaps. Um, that made me think about, can incumbent organizations, so, so established um, pre-digital um, organizations, can they make the transition? Or are they going to be forever beaten by, by digital startups, you know, the like of Spotify and so on, that, um, that, that have um, a, a UX and a digital way of working built into their, their core essence from day one? So this is really good. This is, this is actually a superb question because what you're getting at is what is the power of Disruption. So we know that you know digital, arguably in my opinion, is the most powerful disruptive force in in business. If you, if a company wants to basically be squeezed out, you know, be squeezed out of the market, then it typically is going to come in some form of disruption. You know, you you, you take Uber, where they turned um, a kind of you know again I'm going to talk economics and business stuff here what you know what they did what, what, what was so brilliant and this is what I mean it's not the apps and stuff I, I expect that to be excellent I expect that to have the highest level of thinking regardless of budget or time I expect if you have five days to do something you do it excellently if you have 50 days to do it maybe that's too much I mean there's never too much, you know, we're, 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 we're designers. So, um, and infinite budgets kind of would probably result in infinite crapness. So I, you know, there's a, there's a sort of, um, law to the jungle here, kind of supply and demand of money and service ensures that we get things done. Otherwise, you know, it'd be too fan, fantopia. But, but the point, the point that I, I want to make is Uber turned a supply model. Hey, give me a taxi right now to a demand model. And that subtlety is what, if I'm sort of wanting to talk to people, um, especially people that are experienced UXers, that's what I'm looking for. Do they talk about? Do they talk about that rather than, hey, let me tell you about this lovely user in- interface? I'm kind of, yeah, yeah, it, it's lovely, but what problem does it solve? If it doesn't solve a problem, a business problem, and I think this is the point that you that, that you're both making, then it's kind of um, it's art, you know, and I'm not in the art business. Design is something that requires helping businesses to get better um, equipped with understanding how their customers behave. Many clients, many big businesses have absolutely no idea digitally of how their customers behave. You know, one of the things that will come in the future is this gap between, say, for example, retailers at the moment have just been, you know, this whole thing like showrooming and all that stuff, blah, 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 it's hammered them. Well, I predict that what you'll see in the future is a greater um, absorption of, say, digital techniques that they've probably been using in their websites that they can apply to their physical spaces. So you're also going to start to see this sort of blended retail, physical, analog relationship happening. This is what I mean by di- by digital first. This It comes together. It's hard to separate it. So I predict that the retailers in the future will spend a lot more money on their websites because they'll understand the power that um, digital has brought 
which can which will be directly applicable to what they can do in their physical stores, especially with say uh, you know, the world of sort of connected devices through sort of um, RFID, et cetera, et cetera, you know, sort of beacons, all, all that mm. stuff will allow them to sort of see interactions, behaviors, and trends physically and then be able to compare that to what they do digitally. And that, again, will change the way that people think. So at the moment, digital still is pretty discreet. And I think that what businesses haven't yet fully understood is how to embrace it. Startups get lucky. You know, there's lots of startups that happen. They don't always work. Some of the good ones... What they tend to have at their core is typically a absolute killer value proposition, um, and that has been researched, understood, iterated, and designed over and over and over again in a very intelligent way. These are, you know, you look at the history of, say, for example, something like um, Tinder and how it was developed. You know, they didn't make it. What we see now is not, you know, they didn't make it and go, hey, this is for everybody. Of course it's for everybody. That's not how you design something. So when people say to, to me, hey, are things for everybody? I'm like, okay, well, we need to validate that it's actually going to work and we're not going to test it with it for everybody because you don't have unlimited time and money. What you have is probably need to test it within two months. So what we need to do is come up with a strategy for how you can test your value proposition to see if it fits with the needs and the expectations of your customer of your customers so it's kind of again it's all about understanding the relationship between say business technology and and, and customers i mean that's yeah. what i'm i say to my, my clients if you don't know those relationships and you just focus too much on digital you're going to lose it if you focus too much on non-digital you're going to lose it mm-hmm. so i i personally think it's it's more about taking a blended approach to trying to understand what technologies what consumer expectation needs um and what's the ambition of the business? You know, what is the business good at? What is the business bad at? It's, you know, it's a, it, it, these are classical things that have happened. It just happens to be that um, mm. people think that user experience is like a magic wand. And what I kind of say is, unfortunately, it's not a magic wand, you know. <laughs> no. No, I, I wish gonna, it were. I was going to add into that. that yeah, you're right. There's, uh, the companies maybe come along and they, they want like UX strategy. They want to kind of you know, start... It's like the ball rolling now with, mm. with you know, flicking the switch and being that, that kind of UX aware or, or people centric um, um, organization. Mm. And I'd say though that you mentioned um, about supermarkets and so on, they still have very little idea maybe about how their customers use digital. I don't think you can't skip that step of, of user research. I mean, yes, yes, you can do conversion rate optimization. You can tweak things. You can you can improve numbers and, and say, okay, now we are earning more money from that sign up form or, or that um, shopping cart flow. But but to actually take the, the the full step forward, I think you have to you have to do that research and have to connect with mm. um, reality out there and how people are, are in in real life situations using mm. your your digital products, services, sites, um, and so on. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And the way I kind of think about that is I will say to a client, there's two approaches here. And the two approaches are this. You're either being told that you can creep. Um, but I want to propose that you what you need to do is to leap. And the difference is insight. Insights help you to leap. They help you to see relationships that are much more macro, much more broader as whereas if you creep and you're in that sort of conversion rate optimization, what you're doing is you're continually tweaking things. But, the, you know, there's always always the problem that what you might tweaking might be going, 
up or going down. And I had a situation with a client back in 2004 in the early days where we got a optimization on one of the international um, journeys and it was for a, re a retail, um, a, 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 a car loan site and um, car rental site. And I think we got it up to 61%. So people that were coming into the UK that were looking for a car, they landed on this site and they wanted, uh, you know, they wanted to get a car. They had a 61% conversion rate. Mm. Um, in comparison to something like the normal conversion rate, I think we got it up to was five, five or six. I mean, it was still massive in comparison to yeah. what everyone else had. But I remember saying to this guy, he was a lovely guy, very clever. He said to me, Simon, I want you to apply what you've done with this one journey and see if you could tweak it. Because if you could tweak, obviously, it's going to make them more money. Because they just can see a relationship between spending money and making money, of course. Um, and I remember saying to the guy, uh, is it 61%? Because I, I, I don't know what it was. I mean, you know, I said to him, if we get it up to 20 or 30%, if we can convert one in three, I mean, that's like off the Richter scale in comparison to, you know, what, what you've currently mm -hmm. got. Um, and, you know, we got it to sort of six out of 10 people convert on this, this journey. And I said, I don't really think that you should be fiddling with it. And he said, well, why? And I said, because it's operating beyond what I would have expected to have it to operate. Why, why risk? I, I said, how would you feel if you spent 30,000 pounds with me now and we got it operating at 55%? He said, well, I would be very unhappy. And I said, I know you would. So would I. But we don't know if that's not going to happen because it's so high anyway. So if it's not, broken why do we need to tamper with it so we said are you saying you mm. don't want the business and i'm saying no i'm saying i want to work with you but i want to work on things that, that i can solve a problem that's not solving a problem that's just creeping so so we said well what should i do because i said spend your money on marketing get more people to visit that transaction because obviously it's working while it's still working because it may not work for for forever at that at that rate and that's always been my approach with customers if i think that something's working i'm like okay we've done that you need to either you know that needs to become part of your policy or process or you need people to cover it off you need to give me another problem now i need so and i need something harder and more complex because i like you know that's the sort of person that i am i don't i don't like easy problems if someone says hey come hey simon we've got this amazing campaign piece of ux that we want to do i'm just like hey there's google and there's london and those two things together, I am telling you, there are loads of companies that would love to work for you to do that. Don't you mm. want to do it? I'm like, that's not what we do. I like complex problem solving. I like it when they say, Simon, we don't know what to do. I'm like, okay, now mm. we can have a conversation because then, then that means that they're susceptible to what you were saying, James. They're, sus they're susceptible to this idea of they need to understand, which means they need to research, which means they need to uncover insight to be able mm. to change in a way that is meaningful rather than creep along. They need to, they need to leap. And I think that that goes back to what you were saying, Pierre, about this idea of, of um, what do companies do about the disruptors? Well, what they need to do is they need to act a lot more quickly and realise that, that these disruptor firms can come in with, with little um, investment um, and be quite flexible and get going quite quickly. That mm. doesn't mean that they're going to scale up to be, you know, to get hundreds of millions of turnover. So there is some protection. You can't just annihilate a company overnight because you move into their space. But what it does mean is that, that they have to be aware of digitally how they're, they're exposed. And that exposure is 
is measured in terms of lack of understanding about customer expectation, lack of understanding about the relationship between the you know between business and technology. Typically, you know, misalignment between various departments within an organisation. I mean, it's, mm. it's those traditional things that come up time and time again. So, and I'm not saying that UX can solve those because I think UX solves digital problems, but UX strategy can help organisations think more collectively in a combined way about business, customers and technology. Um, I don't see it as the Uber strategy, but I see it as a absolutely necessary stra- mm. you know, strategy. I mean, I'm working with clients right now that want to disrupt the market. So I, I you know, you find me. I, I'm not going to go out and say, hey, you know, let's do UX for a startup because mm. my prices will just make them cry and they'll just say no. So... What, what, what I'm interested in is when people say they need to establish knowledge to be able to, uh, you know, get insight to generate a value proposition that they can test to see if it will work. And that that's that takes time and effort. You know, learning is expensive. So what I say to clients, if you're not going to learn, we're probably not the right firm. <laughs> Maybe you can just tell um, tell our listeners um, where they can get hold of you, like on um, Twitter and so on. or Yeah, um, yeah, cool. channels. So you can always get hold of me on Twitter. Um, I'm quite a friendly guy. So my Twitter handle is Simon underscore Norris. Um, and I like questions. And if I'm not smart enough or intelligent enough to answer it, hopefully I know someone uh, either inside Nemensa or outside of Nemensa that, that, that can. Great. And, and, we'll, um, and we'll see you um, next month, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No. Because uh, I presume you're going to um, yeah. <laughs> interact London as well. Yeah, so I'm the I'm the one that kind of curates stuff, and I'll be introducing people and doing all those those things, which is good. I'm not speaking this year, which means that I can focus more on um, other people and, and and making sure that the event is very um, network focused. So you know, the event is about getting people to come together to think about design in a different type of way. Hence, the sort of types of people that are talking there. I'd want people to think more broadly about design and its importance, especially in the 21st century. <laughs> this was an excellent chat. Thank yep. you so much. Thanks very much, Simon. Thank you, guys. Take care. Yep. Yeah, you too. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Right. I'm not sure, actually, I've never really made that exact distinction between UX and UX strategy because I've always considered myself sort of a strategist. Mm -hmm. He makes some fair points about UX always being strategic uh, and that you actually need some certain more core competencies to be able to work with UX strategy if you design it the way or define it the way that Simon does. Yeah, like I, like mm-hmm. I made the distinction there, yeah. with mo- a lot of us work with mm-hmm. UX tactics. Yeah. You know, when, we're, when we're doing interaction design or we're doing applied um, UX changes, I guess, mm. to, to sites, then it's more tactics. Um, research maybe is a different thing there. Yeah. Because research is research. Um, I think that probably doesn't fall into tactics or strategy. It's mm. research. Um, but I, I, I think the whole thing about UX strategy, I'm, not, I'm actually not a big believer in, in, in long term as far as UX strategy as an end point. I mean, Simon mentioned that he thinks in 10 years' time, UX strategy will be something taught at business schools. Whereas right. I, I think... And actually, maybe, but it won't be called UX strategy. No, and that's, I, that's the point, yeah, I think. Yeah, I, think I think mm. it's, honestly think it's going to be... It's going to get absorbed mm. into, into business thinking um, so that it doesn't need to be 
quite pointed out in, in such an extreme manner as we're seeing at the moment. Um, I mean, you know, if you think about how, I mean, it's just going to be so unavoidably important to a successful organisation in 10 years' time mm. that to have it siloed out as a UX strategy, um, I don't think it. I don't think it's. Got or, may, or maybe just product strategy will be called UX strategy yeah, in the future. Of yeah. course, that's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, so you got like you know marketing strategies mm. and communication strategies, all these things. Mm. I mean, they've, they've survived a long time as separate strategies. Yeah. Um, but just with UX, no, I'm not. I'm not completely convinced. But that doesn't. That doesn't mean to say I don't agree with the 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 um, the, the path that um, Simon's laying mm. out in our conversation. Um, there's a journey mm. to be had here, mm. and I think the companies will have to take it. Um, but I just don't. I think the end point's slightly different. Yeah. And in uh, in their white paper, Nomenso makes the point that digital is omnipresent, and that really infers that we won't be talking as much about digital because it will be everywhere. I think the same sort of about UX. That UX as a term may actually blend into everything else. Mm. And you made the joke then that UX podcast will have to change its name to podcast. Yes, <laughs> we will be podcast yeah. in the future. <laughs> as you said, the, the, the podcast formerly known as, mm. as UX podcast. Yeah. And we'll just have a symbol and we'll change the color to purple. Um, but um, I, I think, I, I still think it's going to be an incredibly tough time for, mm. for companies. We, a lot of what we just talked about is actually about the, the UX majority model, mm. I think, um, and the steps up from, from first realizing that. Yeah. Well, not realizing anything at all until you're you're full on digital and digital think first thinking mm. and design thinking, all the rest of it, um, and steps in between. You can't just miss one out, really. Um, right. There's there's um, there's no magic there's no magic cure for this. No. And like we say, actually, in our tagline in the intro is we balance business, technology, and users. And I think that's been our approach from the beginning of doing this podcast is that. Real, that realization of UX not being its own thing with the screen and everything, but just being being essentially a UX strategy in itself. Hmm. Yeah, I think so. So um, the show notes um, for this show um, will be, as always, available at uxpodcast.com. And so and all our previous shows there as well. Um, I maybe can recommend listening to um, our chat with Jared Spool that we had. Uh, yeah, about that, that was also connected to UX strategy. Yeah, and, it, was, and it was a tweet about UX strategy that we actually talked about for an hour with him. It was, <laughs> and also how you, yeah. you had to do user research yeah. um, or your UX strategy process was just mm. nonsense. Anyway, I was, I was mid-outro. I was <laughs> mid-roll then, and I got into another topic. Yeah. Um, we are um, UX podcast, all on word, on Twitter and mm. various other places. Um, we've been your hosts, James Roy Lawson. And Pat Axpo. Thank you for listening. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Mm-hmm.